us today from his word. And if you have a Bible with you, I invite you to turn to James chapter 4. If you need a Bible to follow along with us, um, there's a rack of loaner Bibles right back of the center aisle here. You can feel free to jump up and get one of those. You can follow along with us. Our God's going to talk to us today about our lives and specifically our, our lives at work at the workplace, and uh, I'm wondering, how many of you have jobs? I see your hands. Okay. How many of you wish you had a different job? No, you don't have to, don't, don't answer that. <laughs> you know, sometimes we compartmental, car, com, yeah, we divide our life up into compartments, <laughs> you know, home and family and work and recreation and stuff. God just sees it all as life. And he's going to talk to us about our lives today. And to kind of set this up, set up a backdrop, I want you to imagine this scenario, okay? You're at work. And a collective groan went up from the congregation. You're at work. Maybe it's a Tuesday or a Wednesday, and you're heading down the hall to the company's monthly strategy session. It's that meeting where key people sit around the table, and they make plans for the company for increasing its market share, for expanding its territory, for capturing new markets and such. And so you're sitting there like you do every month, Starbucks in hand. They're getting a lot of press today, aren't they? (laughs) And you're listening. You're listening as proposals are presented and plans are being made and goals are being set. And, of course, annoying Harold over there, that old windbag, is once again going on and on about he's going to, you know, kick everybody's rear end again next month and his team's going to set records in sales and on and on and everybody's rolling their eyes as they always do when Harold talks. When all of a sudden you get this nagging sense sitting there in this meeting that you've sat in a hundred times that something very, very important is missing, something is being totally overlooked that shouldn't be. And you have a thought slam into your brain like a thunderclap. Where is God in all this? Where is God? This realization that the absolute most important factor, God, is being totally left out of your company's planning process, jolts you, and you nearly spill your latte all over the nice shiny mahogany table there. All of a sudden, you have this overwhelming urge to interrupt the proceedings and to say something. And surprising everybody, including yourself, you do. You just blurt it out. A time out here, people. Time out. Pardon the interruption, but it seems to me that we're forgetting something here. I mean, all these plans are are well and good and everything, but aren't we leaving out the most important thing, thing of all? I mean, let's just be honest. We don't really have any assurance that these plans are going to succeed, that they're going to result in our company increasing its profits. Harold, frankly, your arrogance is getting annoying. You're just an old windbag blowing a lot of hot air anyway. Fact is, we don't even know if we're going to be in business tomorrow, much less next week or next month or next year. We have no guarantees of that. The only one who really knows the future is God himself. So doesn't it just make sense that we somehow find a way to include God in this planning process? Well, everybody's staring at you by this time, and you're feeling kind of bold. The spirit is surging within you, and besides that, there's no turning back now. 
So you say, I got a proposal to make. I want to respectfully propose the following, that we begin each and every one of these strategy sessions with prayer. Submitting to God's will and asking God to bless us and give us his wisdom and his guidance. In addition, I propose that we close every one of these meetings in prayer, submit all of our new strategies and plans to God before taking a single step forward. Then you sit back, take a sip of your coffee. The room is dead quiet. You could hear a pin drop. Everybody's staring at you. Their mouths are hanging open. And you're thinking, did I really just say all that? <laughs> I wonder how, how would that go over at your office, at your company? As far-fetched as that might sound to you, I want you to think about that scenario right now in light of what James says in James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. Let me read it for you. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city and spend a year there and carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or do that. As it is, you boast and brag, and all such boasting is evil. Verse 17, anyone then who knows the good that he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Amen. Now let's think about this. Let's look at it a little bit deeper. And I think to understand what James is saying here, first we have to understand what he is not saying. Okay? What James is not saying in this passage, he's not saying, first of all, that making plans is unspiritual. If you look at other passages of Scripture, like Proverbs 16.3, commit to the Lord whatever you do and your plans will succeed, it says. 21.5 of Proverbs, the plans of the diligent lead to profit, as surely as haste leads to poverty. James is not saying that it's unspiritual to make plans. Our leadership in this church these days is making lots of plans, hopefully spirit-led, spirit-driven plans for the future. We're making plans for dynamic Easter services around here, where a number of you are going to tell your stories of how Jesus has changed your life. We're making plans to tackle the, the pornography plague that is um, running rampant in our culture and even in Christ's church through a series in April that we're going to be doing called The Sexual Revolution. We're making plans to add some new space to our, our physical plant here, our facilities, to help us better carry out the vision that God has given us. We're making plans to start up some new ministries, a grief ministry, grief recovery, a Christian 12-step recovery program, ministries in the local prisons around here. We're making plans to create an online community for members through our newly remodeled website where you can get online and connect with others in our larger body who share your, your interests or your hobbies. We're making plans to, to partner with a bunch of other churches for the first time ever in a citywide, a Columbus citywide serve, serve fest at the end of April to bless our community and serve our community together. Listen, it, it is not bad, it is not wrong, it is not evil to make plans as long as God is not being left out of those. 
He's not saying that being in business is unspiritual. The fact is, many of God's choice servants were in business. Just start scrolling through in your mind. People in the Bible who were tradesmen, merchants, farmers, agriculture. I want to say to you today, if you're in business, that God does not look down on you for being in business. Your work matters. Your work has dignity. Buying and selling and trading and producing products and offering services that contribute to a better society has a certain dignity about it in God's eyes. Think about it. Jesus himself was in business, wasn't he? He was a carpenter in the family business for many, many years. James is not saying that being in business is unspiritual. He's not saying that making plans is unspiritual. And the third, he's not saying even that making money is unspiritual. Think about it again. Many of God's choice servants were quite wealthy. Think about Abraham, very wealthy man. Isaac, Job at one point in his life was extremely wealthy. David, Solomon was rich. Even jumping Jehoshaphat was a rich dude in the Bible. Money in and of itself is not evil. The Bible does not say money is the root of all evil. What does it say? The love of money is the root of all evil. Money is is neutral. It's a tool for accomplishing things in this world, and money can accomplish a lot of good things. Money can support the needs of your family. Money can bless others around you. Money can advance God's work. Money can support missionary endeavors around the world and relieve suffering. Last week I shared with you a a large threefold vision that this church has to make a difference in the world. It's going to take money and lots of it to make that vision become a reality. Making money is not bad. It's not unspiritual. In fact, the Bible tells us that some of you in God's family have been given the spiritual gift of giving. And in my mind, that necessitates also having the spiritual gift of earning. Because you can't give what you don't have, right? I like what one writer said. He had this philosophy. Christians should work hard, make all the money they can, so they can give lots of it away to God's work and further his cause, thereby populating heaven. I agree. I wrote some of our business people in this church this week, and I asked them to... to, um, Talk back to me and and write something out for me, letting me know how their Christian principles affect their their business at work. A guy named Paul who owns a business said, you know what? I pray every day that God will bless my business so that it will grow and will make lots of money so I can give lots of it away to God's work. That's a great philosophy. James is not saying that making money is unspiritual. Now, The Bible does give some cautions about money and making money that we need to take note of. First of all, it says don't let having money lull you into a false sense of security. Don't be duped into thinking that just by having, you know, gobs of money around that you'll be able to buy safety and security and peace of mind. In some ways, you're probably going to have more worries and more anxieties if you have lots of money. The Bible also says don't trust in riches to bring you happiness. Not going to (laughs) happen. despite what, you know, the advertising agencies are telling us. The Bible says, don't trust in your riches to make you right with God. Don't think that your money can buy you a place in heaven, uh, make you acceptable to God, or buy his favor. Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, it says, the day of judgment. 
Your net worth on this earth doesn't mean a whole lot to God when it comes to eternity. You know, think about heaven's economy. It's, it's upside down from earth's. They pave the streets with gold up there. Pavement. <laughs> Don't think that your money can make you right with God. And also, the Bible is very clear. It says, Don't let money and the things money can buy steal your heart away from God. Listen, the Bible says there's a battle going on, a lordship battle going on for your heart, for your affections, for your allegiance, for your devotions. And God's primary rival in that battle, you know, you know what it is? It's money. Jesus said, you've got to make a choice. You can't serve both God and money. Both are rivals for your heart's affection and devotion. And the Bible says don't. Don't let money and the things money can buy steal away your heart from God. If you do, you can end up living your one and only life enslaved to the God of money. If you're not careful. And money makes a poor God. James is not saying that it's wrong to be in business or make plans or even make lots of money. So what is he saying? (laughs) What is James saying in this passage? He's saying this. What's wrong is leaving God out of all that. That's what's evil. That's what's sinful. Leaving God out. That's the great omission. Leaving God out of your plans is unspiritual and sinful. Listen, when people who claim to know God go to work and make plans and conduct business without any thought of God and what he might want or what he might think, that is what is evil. One man called it Practical atheism. That's when you say that you believe in God, but in your daily life you act as if he doesn't exist. James says, don't do that. Well, why? What's so wrong? What's so bad with leaving God out, with neglecting him, with overlooking God when it comes to making our plans? Well, from the text, James gives us three things here. First of all, he says it's presumptuous. It's very presumptuous to to go through your life, make a bunch of plans, you know, have ambitions for the future, set goals, do all of that, and leave God out. It is presumptuous. Why? Because none of us even know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know the future. You're making all these plans for the future, you're setting goals, and the truth is you don't know what the future holds, and neither do I. Gas prices could go up 25% next month, this month. The stock market might drop 400 points in a single day. A catastrophic event on the magnitude of 9-11 could happen and change everything. The market might experience a downturn. Your company might start laying people off. Your boss might have a heart attack. You don't know the future. But God does. So it's presumptuous to make plans and all of that and leave out the one who knows the future, James said. Don't be presumptuous. Not only that, he says, you have no guarantee of a long life or even tomorrow. What does he say? What is your life? You are a a mist, a wisp of vapor that's here one moment and gone the next. Just ask the friends and loved ones of the Bluffton College baseball team. It can happen like that. Jesus once told the story of a businessman. You can read about it in Luke 12. 
And this guy was having a, a, just a string of wins, banner year after banner year, setting new records every year, building bigger and bigger warehouses to store all of his product. He starts contemplating early retirement, life of ease and pleasure, just kind of kicking back. And all of a sudden, one day, without warning, wham, he keels over and dies. And he finds himself standing before God in judgment. And God looks at that young businessman and says, You fool! You wasted your life. You spent all of your energies trying to accumulate money and stuff so that you could have a future of ease. Where's that future? You thought money was going to bring you happiness and satisfaction? thought you had many years to take it easy and enjoy all that. What do you think now, God says? None of us know what's going to happen tomorrow or next week or next month. James says it's presumptuous to leave God out of your planning for the future because he's the only one who knows if you have a future. You have no guarantees. I think about this every time I see one of those Plavix commercials. You see those? You know, Ed is a formidable guy, but he's no match. For a little particle, no bigger than the head of a pin in his bloodstream that can take him out like that. This reminds me of the, the brevity and the, and, and the fragility of life. Only God knows the future. Only God knows how much time any, any of us have left. Doesn't it just make sense to admit that and to acknowledge God when we make our plans? James says it's presumptuous to not do so. He says two other things. He says it's arrogant and it's sinful. It's arrogant to leave God out. He says you're just boasting and bragging about what you're going to do and and all such boasting is evil. And then he says it's sinful in verse 17. Just as a sidebar, you know, usually when we think about sins, we think about things that we do, right? Acts that we commit. But here in verse 17, James introduces us to another whole category of sins These are not things that we do, but things that we don't do. Things that we fail to do that we should have done. These are called acts of commission, committing them. And these are called acts of omission, omitting or or leaving out what we should have done. And James says one of the biggest acts of omission or sins of omission you can do is to leave God out of your planning. He says don't do that. Anyone who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sin. So what is the good? What is the good that we know we should do? It's to not leave God out, but what? Invite God in. Invite God in. That's what he's saying. James would say it just makes good sense, good business sense. Especially for Christian business owners, it makes good business sense to not leave God out of your planning, but to invite God in to your planning process, to your corporate culture, to acknowledge God's sovereignty over the affairs of this life, including your business affairs. One of our business owners, Craig, in our church, uh, wrote me back an email, and here's what he said about uh, being a Christian business owner. He said, every day is a test for me. I know that holds true for everyone, but I think it's magnified for being a Christian business owner. 
Being a Christian business owner causes you to make decisions that may not always be the most profitable for the bottom line. The more you try to follow Christ, the more you have to define those gray areas. They have to be black or white. True Christianity, he writes, can't be a part-time thing. You've got to take it to the office with you. And that often means making decisions based on biblical principles, not on the bottom line. But it also affects way more than just money. It's about attitude, controlling our anger, dealing with difficult customers and employees, and trying to always ask, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? The mantra of the Christian business person should be what James says in in verse 15. If it is the Lord's will, we will do this, or go there, or do that, or buy and sell. If it is the Lord's will. Would you just say that little phrase with me? If it is the Lord's will. That attitude, I think, is expressed four different ways. Let me talk about this for a minute. If it is the Lord's will. First off, that's expressing an attitude of submission, isn't it? If. (laughs) We'll do all this stuff if God confirms that it's his will, if, if that's what he wants. Submission just acknowledges that God is in charge, that God is the CEO, that God is the chief stockholder. Ellen, a business owner in our church, wrote me back and uh, she said this. Somewhere during the eight years that I've owned my business, I ceased to be the owner and have committed to being the operator instead. I find myself now seeking God's direction and purpose for my business. Back when I owned the business, all I could focus on were the financials, the bottom line. Learning to trust God hasn't completely eliminated the financial concerns, but now I get to watch God work through this business to impact my coworkers' lives. Hopefully, the character that God has developed in the business through its success is reflected back to our community. Submission, if it is the Lord's will. Second, dependence. Dependence. If it's the Lord's will, we'll do this. We don't know everything. We have no guarantees regarding the future. We don't have all the resources we need, but God does, so we're going to be depending upon Him. If we're going to be the best company we can be, we need God. So we're going to seek His strength and wisdom. Wouldn't it be a cool thing if prayer became part of the, the corporate culture where you work? How many of you, I'm just curious, how many of you work in places where there is some praying going on? That, that sort of thing. Can I see your hands? Yeah. Well, Susan was in last service. Of course, she works here, you know. So she's like, oh, yeah, we pray here. Like, <laughs> I hear about this, though, more and more in more places of work, you know, a time of, of devotions or prayer where people are starting to realize we need to seek God here. Even in business. If it's the Lord's will. If God wants it. Paul, a business owner here, said, I pray every day for my business. A third attitude that comes out of this phrase is integrity. Integrity. Doing it God's way. Playing by God's rules. If it is the Lord's will. We'll, we'll do stuff by God's will here in this business. 
talking about boundaries, talking about playing within the foul lines, playing by God's rules. Sometimes we need a little encouragement, don't we, to play by the rules. And in some businesses, there there are these people who have a hard time playing by just the simple rules of courtesy. One company decided to do something about that and deal with those people severely, so they hired the office linebacker. Take a look at the screen. See if this would work at your office. Hey, Laura. Hey, Paul. Hey, buddy. Whoa! You know you can't bring that weak stuff up in this humpy bumpy. You killed it, Joe. You made some more. You know that, baby. Else you're in for a long day. A long day. The simple days up in this. You got mail, baby. Whoa! <laughs> so I don't see you later. <laughs> away from a K-22 paper jam? Guilty, I've done it. Have you done it? (laughs) Well, I don't know how that would go over at your office, but um, playing by the rules. Sometimes we need a little help in doing that at work. Not only rules of courtesy, common courtesy, but uh, what are God's rules? I listed several of them for you here. The golden rule. Do you know that's in the Bible, the book of Luke? Treat others the way that you would want them to treat you. You want people to treat you honestly and fairly and equitably? Well, guess what? It's about sowing and reaping, isn't it? You've got to treat others honestly, fairly, and equitably. Craig wrote back about his business and he said, you know, we try to always do things the way that Jesus would do them. Golden rule. The law of love is another one. Treat others as Christ would treat them. The law of impartiality or the principle of impartiality. James has talked to us about this in in chapter 2. Treat others fairly. Don't play favorites. Don't give special treatment. Don't discriminate in hiring or pay compensation based on something other than performance. About the principle of giving your best. You know, whether you're a business owner or, you know, in management or or an employee, a worker, God expects us as his people to give our best, doesn't he? Doesn't the Bible say this in in the New Testament over and over again? Do it heartily as unto the Lord, he says. 
Give your best effort to your employee. Christians ought to be the best employees that an employer has. The last one I call the real boss principle. <laughs> Remember who you really work for. You find this in Ephesians 6, 5 through 9. You know who's sitting in the corner office, really? It's not Linda and it's not Herbert. It's Jesus Christ. You work for Jesus. He's your boss. He's going to give the ultimate evaluation someday of how you carried out your responsibilities and your duties. That's integrity. If it's the Lord's will, we're going to do this the way the Lord would want it done here in this business. We're going to play by His rules. We're going to follow His principles. And lastly, surrender. When someone says, if it's the Lord's will, we'll do this or that, what they're doing is they're, they're, they're surrendering, aren't they? I just learned this. Day in, day out, week in, week out. I've got to give all of my ambitions and dreams and grandiose plans to God. I've got to resubmit them to God. Because I have a tendency to get my hands wrapped around those things a little bit too tightly. And then I start getting in there and, and, and I don't want that. Give your plans to God. Submit your dreams to God. Lord, I surrender all my plans to you, all my grandiose ideas. Do with them what you will, what you will, your will. Feel free to change them, adjust them, cancel them, kill them, or fulfill them as you see fit, Lord. If it is the Lord's will, Lord means master, surrender. Ultimately, we say to God, I want what you want. I want your will. Some people have grandiose plans for business. Some people have grandiose you know, dreams and ambitions for ministry. I think James would say, make sure, make sure that you keep submitting those things and surrendering them back to God, back to God, back to God. Don't try to force it. Don't try to make it happen. Let God do it. Because when God does it, then He gets the glory for it, right? He gets the praise. And you have a story to tell. Because you're there saying, you know, it wasn't going to happen. It was, it was dead in the water. And God resurrected it. <laughs> and you got a story to tell. Amen. Friends, I've seen it over and over again in people's lives. People who leave God out of their planning and leave God out of their decision-making process. Inevitably, it leads to poor choices and regret. Invite God in. You're contemplating starting a new business, moving, changing jobs, pondering a major purchase, thinking about getting married, thinking about getting divorced, thinking about joining a church or leaving a church. Please, instead of leaving God out, invite Him in. Say, God, I, I don't know the future. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I'm not guaranteed next month. Please, I'm not wise enough. I'm not smart enough. Please direct my steps. Guide me. I want what you want. If it's the Lord's will, we'll do this or that. If it's the Lord's will. Invite God in. We're going to do a little of that right now, these next few moments. There are uh, several groups of people in this room that I'd like us as a church to just uphold and lift up in prayer. You know, James is talking primarily in this passage to business owners, isn't he? People who run businesses, have their own business. And 
I want us to take some time this morning and pray for those in this room who own their own businesses. And if you wouldn't mind, I'm going to ask you to stand up right now if that's you. If you own your own business, you run your own business, would you just stand up if you would? I know we've had a bunch in each service. Very good. I would like for those who are around, you who are standing, to just um, put your hand on their arm or on their shoulder. And if you're, if you're sitting near one of these folks, if you just reach out to them, stretch your hands out towards them. If you see someone standing across the way that's your good friend, you can go and lay your hands on them. I want to ask you to pray for these folks who, who are in positions of authority and influence. They run businesses. They have employees. Pray that uh, they would be reminded by James' words today to not leave God out, but to invite